This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody, and hello, Jason. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. What? Really? That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say your name when you're about to say it. That doesn't make sense at all. Hi, Chris. My name is Jason. Great. Good to meet you. Uh, this is the Talking Dead podcast number 226, recorded Monday, September the 14th, 2015. Awesome. And we are here to discuss the third episode of Fear the Walking Dead, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, first, though, I want to talk about one thing that we talked about last week, and that's my beard. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's it's the beard report. It's the beard report. Well, we mentioned it last week, or you may have brought it up, and you know, you were wondering how I can live with such a large, bushy beard. No, no, I know, I understand how you can live with it. I just don't understand how people let you keep it, <laughs> like my wife and my job. <laughs> your wife, and... your job, you know, family, friends, and family. You got daughters. I'm sure your daughters are like, yeah, don't touch me with that thing. You're kind of right, actually. <laughs> not a day goes by where one of them doesn't say, "When are you going to shave your beard?" And not a day goes by where I don't say, "Not today." <laughs> you know what? You know what you can do to distract them. What? Get a dog. No, I could do that, but I don't want to get a dog right now. Maybe someday. Anyhow, when we were talking about the beard last time, a lot of people emailed in and Facebooked me and said, hey, we want to see a picture of the beard. Right. So I'm going to post a picture of the beard. Just the beard. (laughs) Yeah, probably nothing else. I'll Photoshop out the rest of my face so it's just a beard floating in in the void. It's a good plan. (laughs) Be weird. No, what we're going to do is if you visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash pictures... There will be some pictures there of us uh, that we posted after we did our Ask Us Anything podcast last year. Uh, people wanted to know what you looked like in a, as a clown, you know, what your cats looked like, things like that. So that URL is sitting there, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash pictures. And what I will do is I will add a picture or two of myself with the beard. Nice. Are you looking at it right now? I'm looking at the pictures right now. There's some I good... forgot all about this page. See, there's some good stuff there. There's Rosie and Lily. Yeah, I know. Those are your cats, and you as a clown. And me as a clown. (laughs) All right, so that's a secret link. We don't really publish that anywhere else except for people who listen here to the podcast. So visit our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash pictures, and you will see Jason as a clown. And hopefully, if I remember, after you know, before I post this episode, there will be a picture of me with my beard there. You know what's going to happen now, though? People are going to see it and be like, well, that's not that big. Well, or, no, it's not, Daniel, it's not the kind of thing you tuck into your belt. Like, it's not that big. But it's, you know, I've known you for many years now, and this is the bushiest beard that you've had since I've known you. It's the biggest beard I've ever had in my life. Let's yeah. put it that way. And I'm not done growing it yet, so maybe I'll have to post an update at some point later on down the road. So, uh, But let me know what you think. Um, if, if you're a beard person and you like it or you're not and you hate it, I mean, I'm still keeping it, so... <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> no matter what you think, you can go to hell. I wouldn't put it that way, but, yeah, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, what we're going to do here is look back, take a look back at last week's episode or of Fear the Walking Dead. I mean, I know it was two weeks. Was it two weeks ago? Yeah, it was two weeks ago because there wasn't one over the Labor Day weekend. And we're going to read a bunch of emails and feedback we got from people about that one. So, Jason, who is going to begin, you or me? You is going to begin. All right. This first email about last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead comes from Dylan in Windsor, 
Ontario. Dylan says, I find myself on the edge of my seat and forgetting to breathe due to the buildup this show is forming. Second, the subtle little occurrences in the background of the show, example, during the birthday party across the street, you can hear crying or screaming of some sort when Alicia is tending to her brother. This episode really made me think how fast society could fall in this case. It's true. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've done a good job in general of dropping in little background bits here and there and i mean yeah. i mean audio i mean background visuals you know just showing planes fly over in the sky because you know something bad's about to happen but they're not really showing it to us yeah they've shown us a lot of airplanes and a lot of uh, a lot of aircraft and uh, none of them has uh, crashed or blown up yet no i thought we came close though this week that was just a uh, that was just a turn it was abrupt turn, but it was just a turn. All right. Well, we can... it, it just it just turned one direction. It did not turn back. It didn't look like it was struggling. But there was the sound of the engines revving. Mm. So uh, that it's I'm on the fence as to whether or not that uh, that particular aircraft was in trouble. Yeah, I, I think it might have been. But you know, if if uh, I I thought maybe we were going to see it explode or take a dip straight down or something like that, but we did not. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get more of that as the uh, final three episodes of this season pan out. Yeah, they're they're building up to something. They're definitely showing those aircraft for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Next, we have Will on the internet. The denial and confusion of everyone, except for Nip, Nick, is killing me. I just wanted either Madison or Travis to use the words like emergency or plague or contaminated in order to express the severity of what they'd seen. Maybe even zombie is appropriate, as this place takes place in modern L.A. We can only assume that characters have enjoyed the same zombie classics that we have. Well, we we could, except that uh, Kirkman's come out that's and, and, and told everyone that zombies in pop culture don't really exist in the universe of The Walking Dead. And that is essentially a story mechanism, so right. that people don't... You know, walk into their house, see a zombie, and go, hey, hey, look, there's a zombie. We should hey, probably look. go back inside. Or, you know, sh- shoot it in the head. Or that's how you kill zombies. Right. Don't do, let it bite you. Do something like that, exactly. Yeah. So they just don't know about these things. So you can't assume that they'll see them and know what they are. And that's becoming more and more clear as we see more episodes, obviously, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I do think Will has a bit of a good point that. At times, it feels like some of the characters, at least in the first two episodes, weren't really taking the threat seriously. But that said, on the other side, I mean, would you, if, you know, if there was some sort of um, virus, viral outbreak going on, I mean, you might take it seriously, but you might not be, you might not be, uh, you know, calling in 911 like like your life depended on it. No, I'd, uh, I'd go into my furnace room and just kind of sit there hope for the best and just wait it out yeah bring down a few cans of peaches and beans and you'll be fine yeah i'll bring down uh, the apple tv and uh, <laughs> a tv of some kind and or my computer and away i'd go maybe a radio a radio just for fun mm-hmm. like, yeah radio good all right uh, mike and buffalo writes about the withdrawal portrayal you ain't seen nothing on day one nick would be days away from the peak of misery. It would be weeks to feel healthy enough to fight a horde. <laughs> Probably true. I know that's what he's thinking. He's lying there on that couch going, oh my God, I got to get better and turn, get ready to fight that horde. <laughs> but I doubt it. Um, uh, yeah, and I was hoping, you know, I think I said last time, I really hope that they don't gloss over 
too much the rest of his his recovery. I have a feeling they may be doing that, though. Yeah, well, we'll get to that as uh, as we talk about the episode that uh, that just happened. All right, move on to the next one. All right, so we have Pam in New York City. I was hoping fear would clear up some confusion about the mechanics of the outbreak slash virus spreading from the main show. But so far, I'm still just confused. We hear that a huge portion of the school is home with the flu, in quotes, which suggests that they are all infected. Are we supposed to assume that they all got bit or scratched by a walker? And if so, how do so many people get a lone bite but aren't eaten alive and fully torn to shreds? Also, wouldn't a sick person laying in bed from this uh, tell his caregiver something along the lines of, Dude, a a person bit me. (laughs) At first, it seemed like the virus was spreading another way, separate from the bites, but we see a bite on the boyfriend in bed. Wouldn't he mention what bit him? That's kind of a good point. You get bit by somebody or you get mugged by somebody. The first thing you're going to say is, a guy ran up behind me, bit me. I got away, but now I feel really crappy. Yeah. You know? Some dude bit me. Well, if if I was walking down the street and a guy bit me, first of all, I'd be really freaked out because I'd probably assume he was a zombie. But if even if he wasn't, I'd go home and be, tell my wife, you know, a guy bit me on the way home. I don't feel so good. I, I was in uh, I was in grade school, and a uh, a girl bit me, mm-hmm. and uh, she broke the skin on my arm, threw my jacket, and uh, I went home and told my parents some girl bit me. Yeah, like, well, she just went off and bit me in the schoolyard. <laughs> you know, in yeah, in grade school, that kind of thing happens. Some kids well, are just it does, biters. But I I told somebody. I told an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody bites you, you tell somebody. Somebody, you tell somebody. bit me. That's it's, just crazy. It's true. Um, but, you know, I mean, if everyone's home from a school with the flu, you know, it's a, as Pam said, it suggests they're all infected. But we know that everyone's all infected anyways, right? Yes. Except that this is the beginning of the outbreak. So it had to start somewhere. So maybe there's milder versions of zombieism at this point. Maybe it's not full on, you know, the uh, the strain of the virus that's running rampant, killing everybody, is you know had a had a, a lesser cousin before that that just made everybody kind of sick. I don't know. I mean, I've I haven't really, I've sort of taken for granted the fact that in the main show, everyone is infected. When you die, you become a zombie, regardless of whether you're bit or not. Right. I've never really gone back and thought about how that starts if you know what i mean like there must have been a time there must have been a period of time where this virus didn't exist or had not spread to humans yet say yes and nobody had it then somehow somebody gets it and everyone they come into contact with they pass it to right yeah and then and then there's a point at which where it's saturated through to everybody but how does it go from one to the other and if people are dead and buried in the ground, they're waking up as zombies, are they? Not necessarily, not unless they were infected while they were alive. Okay, so they if they weren't, if they died before this virus existed, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. They, well, fine as in dead, well, but yes. not reanimated. <laughs> <laughs> they're fine. Right, right, right. So, I, so you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm confused again because... Um, Everybody who now you come into contact who's still living yeah. has got this virus. And so how did they get it? I don't know. Passed through the air. Like everybody gets a cold, right? Yeah, but you get a cold through through contact generally. Well, th- there you go. So, you know, spittle flying through the air, uh, people not washing their hands, and then making a sandwich and sharing the sandwich with some other poor schmo. 
and you know various things like that. Okay, so making it's, out with somebody who has the uh, has the infection. Right. So I guess it's not it's not really that impossible that it would actually spread to every single person on the planet. Yes. I mean, I guess if you figure, um, Matt got bit. He has it. Alicia is in direct contact with him, so she gets it. She yeah. gives it to everyone in her family member, in her in her immediate family, I mean, yeah. and they just pass it on from there and it never stops. Yeah. So, the, yeah, so the lesson you learn from this is wash your hands, people. Yeah, and don't just, go outside, Jesus. <laughs> and do not, for the love of God, do not get on the subway, hang on to the bar, get off the subway, and then rub your eyes. Oh. Don't do that. Wash your hands often. So gross. I, a friend of mine was telling me one time he was on the subway and a drunk guy got on and uh, the drunk guy kind of threw up into his hand a little bit and then, nice. you know, grabbed the grabbed the bar to hold on <laughs> and then got off a couple stations later. And then the next station, just some regular dude gets on, dum-de-dum-de-dum, comes up, grabs the bar right in the same spot. I mean... That just makes me horrified and never want to leave my house. Well, even that. I mean, you got two kids and a wife, right? So uh, there's probably some nasty stuff coming coming in regardless of whether or not you leave. Oh, good Lord. Kids, they, they touch everything and they're so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though we try to clean them. <laughs> just wash your hands every now and again and uh, don't rub your eyes. All right. Fair enough. I'll keep that in mind. Don't lick your fingers after being on the subway. Oh, God. It's just so nasty. <laughs> <laughs> just don't lick your fingers in general. Like, okay. I don't care how delicious that burger was. Do not lick your fingers. I want to move on here, but I got one more really quick story to tell you. I had All to right. take a cab once with one of my kids. And she the, she was young enough that we had to put the car seat in the back seat of the cab. Right. And this car seat um, attaches to the universal car seat attachment system or whatever it is. There are little things, little metal clips built into the frame of the car that are sort of inside the seat. You you right. you can feel them if you reach down in the in the where the back of the seat meets the seat part of the seat, and then you clip the car seat into it. So okay. I had to install this in a taxi, which meant I had to put my hand. Yeah, down. did you wear gloves? No, <laughs> I had to slide my hand down in between that crack in the in the in the seat of the cab. Man, I I was I like held my hand like this away from my body up the whole time until we got home. It was so disgusting. No kidding. There's oh like God. probably there's there's vomit and probably semen and <sighs> just the nasty stuff that's down in there. Uh, people pee their pants. There's just oh, oh God. good lord, man! I know. Why are you taking a cab? Don't take a cab. <laughs> I, I, it was the only option at the at the time. We had your to own get car home. is probably bad enough. Oh yeah, probably is. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Class, all right, moving on. Class in the Netherlands. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right writes, people appear to be too focused on black people dying that they completely miss the white people dying. <laughs> In the second episode, the principal and Matt die, plus the white raver girl, the white homeless guy the crowd is protesting for, and the white neighbor who's attacking the uh, other white neighbor lady when Alicia's looking out the window. Even in episode one, it is Cal as the only black guy. Then there are, are the old white guy in the hospital, and the video of the guy on the highway that becomes viral. People are putting too much emphasis on race. It is getting really annoying. In an apocalypse, everybody dies. That's fair. And I think it's very fair. You know, we mentioned this last time. We talked about the original Walking Dead show and how it seemed like they were um, had a pattern of killing black characters. Well, I think class here makes a uh, 
an interesting point. The only thing I would say is that all the white people people he listed were secondary, non-speaking, in fact, background extras almost. Whereas the people that have died, you know, in the first two episodes of this show, uh, the the primary characters were all black. Oh, that's all. But he does. He still has a, a very valid point. All right. So next we have Sally on the internet. Okay, my first ever, holy crap, did you see that for Fear the Walking Dead, is when Tobias stabbed the principal in the head and it did nothing. He cl- he's clearly not as skilled with the cutlery, cutlery on administrator action quite yet. Either A, the skull was too hard, B, the knife too dull, or C, the person wielding it was just not skilled. Probably a lot of C and a little of A. The person wielding it was not that skilled, and the skull was too hard. That's right. It is nice to see some hard zombie skulls again. Well, it takes time to soften them up, right? It you know, human does. beings, that maybe that's part of the virus, is that once it settles in, it gets into your bones, it makes your skull a little soft and more like a Nerf skull than anything else. So, you know, wear a helmet. <laughs> yeah. You know, go get a <laughs> hockey helmet, put it on, just wear it. Never take it off. Don't take it off. You know, I think that... This whole soft skull thing is a big, giant accident on the part of the people making the original show and this show. Yeah. You know, they made it a little too easy to put knives through skulls in the original show. And so then they decided, well, we're going to write that into the the (laughs) mythology here and say that zombies, as they decay or whatever, their skulls get softer. So now we have an opportunity in this new show to show people that fresh zombies have harder skulls. So let's do that. But don't even uh, un, un, undead? The living in The Walking Dead, don't they have soft skulls too? Didn't we conclude that? Who, well, that I don't know. Who did, whose skull got who I, got I don't remember. I, just, I, I seem to have in my brain, my soft skull, that uh, everybody in The Walking Dead has a soft skull. The living, the dead, everybody. Well, so I, I don't have any evidence right now to back that up, mm-hmm. but that was my personal, uh, you know, soft head belief. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> y- y- I don't know. You might be right. I don't. You're right. I don't remember exactly either if we've seen a living person get stabbed in the head. Um, I can think of many, many zombies that have been stabbed in the head. All right. I'll watch the entire series from before next week. Start over. Get on that and figure it out, man. All right, I'm signing off now. I got a lot a lot to catch up on. I got a lot of TV to watch. <laughs> okay, finally, Tom on the internet writes, one reason Madison might hesitate to tell Alicia just what exactly is going on is she knows her daughter. If a 17-year-old girl has told her boyfriend, whom she is deeply in love with, is going to die and turn into a mindless killer, I imagine her first reaction would be denial combined with a powerful impulse to immediately run to him, to be with him as he goes through it. This would be combined with rage at her mother for hiding this from her, especially if her boyfriend dies before she could say goodbye. And I think that's a fair point. That is, yeah. And and I think we learn more about the family dynamic in this uh, episode three that we're about to talk about, too, especially the relationship between Madison and her two kids. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like the fact that they weren't really telling Alicia what was going on kind of makes sense to me right now. So I, you know, I think Tom is right that there are definitely reasons that exist that are valid and make sense that, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily give her all the information. 
and you know, I, I feel like people are going to say, well, you're just making excuses for the show, for characters not talking, but I really believe that in this case, there, there are some valid reasons. Even though, okay. even though, you know, there's zombies running around outside, people are dying and attacking each other. Well, I think we need to draw fine. a line between valid reasons and it makes sense for the characters not to tell her, right? Because I may believe that the characters have a reason and that reason is good for them, but I still wouldn't feel that it's valid that they don't tell her. No, that, my personal belief. Come on, that doesn't make any sense. If it's a good reason, then it has to be valid. At least from no, their perspective. It, for, yes, from their perspective, and that's the important part. From right. my perspective, it may be completely invalid. So invalid is a you know, is an absolute, but uh, you know their reasoning is you know it makes sense for them. Yes, you could also say their reasoning is flawed, but really comes down to perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for emails about last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead. So let's move on into our discussion of this week's episode, which is episode three. And it is titled The Dog. <laughs> the Dog. All right. Thank you very much, Will on the internet and Gareth, who is living in Germany. <laughs> Those were our two title readers this week. In case you didn't catch that, this episode is called The Dog. And according to AMC, it is about, or the description is, after they escape a riot, Travis, Liza, and Chris seek refuge with the Salazars. Madison defends her home. That's our plot description this week. Um, if you would like to hear your voice on the podcast reading an episode title, you could do that. You could use your phone, your computer, whatever, and go look up the titles on IMDb, record them, and send us the audio file, and we will play it before our discussion of the episode. It's always fun to hear people's takes on episode titles like that. Yeah. It's yep. always good. All right, one more thing before we get into it here. The ratings for this episode uh, took another dip from week two. Really? But are still strong. There was 7.2 million total viewers and 4.6 million of those in the 18 to 49. Now, according to the internet, that is down 12% from episode two. That's not bad. No, it's not bad. I mean, 7.2 million is still, you know, most shows would love to have that many people watching well, yeah. it. Yeah. So, and, you know, we had a we had a week hiatus, mm -hmm. which uh, the show doesn't normally do. Uh so and that's got to be tough like over the uh you know, you take a break over the uh, the long weekend and everybody's going back to school and there's a lot of stuff going on. That's a tough uh that's a tough couple of weeks to try and keep your your viewership. I I absolutely agree when you think about it. I mean, AMC, you think must have really struggled with this uh, you know like they a brand new show which sure they know has the support of of the other show but it's still a brand new show they show two episodes and then they got to take a week off for school to start like you said and, and and everything and then hope that people will come back to it which you know they didn't uh not all of them did but still quite a few uh, are yeah. they're doing okay and now they can just run straight through the final um the final four episodes or three now that we've seen number three so if they really want to kill the show then start uh showing the episodes out of order and uh moving the night around <laughs> like show it on a tuesday and then uh then skip a week and then show it on a friday night isn't that what they 11 isn't that what fox did with firefly that's exactly what they did with firefly morons the rat bastards <laughs> morons uh, okay, so let's get into this episode. Uh, maybe first some general thoughts. Jason, what did you think of this one? Uh, I thought it was pretty good overall. 
That's it? You got nothing else? Pretty good? Yeah, well, just overall, you know, one of the general thoughts, pretty good. I didn't think it was fantastic. I didn't think it was horrible. I thought, uh, generally speaking, it was uh, it was okay. Wow, man. I thought this was the best of the three, like head and shoulders above the other two. Really? This was a really, really good episode, in my opinion. Um, I thought it perfectly balanced, like, everything you want from a Walking Dead episode. There was... There was character development, there was action, there was super freaky, like, tense action, I thought, and it was a really good sort of momentum builder from from what came before it and what I'm hoping sort of comes after it. I thought it was, I thought this episode was great. I mean, I thought this episode stands up against uh, some of the better episodes of the main show, even. Wow, we have different opinions. Well, sure, I just yeah. thought, thought it was kind of meh. I didn't, uh, I th- you know, I thought it was it was fairly good, but I didn't, uh, I don't think it was nearly as outstanding as you did. Yeah, sure. no, I thought it was great. Well, let's let's talk about some of the some of the um, uh, specifics of it. So it was kind of divided up into two or three main sort of plot lines here. The first one was the way I see it: the escape from the Salazar barbershop. Right. That was more at the beginning of the episode. Um, and it was Travis and everybody deciding to leave the barbershop, get out, and try to get back to the house. Uh, what did you think about the this whole sequence of them getting out there, making their way through the chaos of L.A., which was actually Vancouver, and uh, and then getting back to the house? I thought it was uh, a little thunderdome Like there was everybody was uh, from what I could see was standing in place, jumping up on cars. Somebody was banging a shovel on an upturned police car, trying to I don't know why they were just or banging a chair. Like there was there was a car was turned over and they were on the top of the car banging on it with something, Mm -hmm. and that just seemed ridiculous to me. Like okay, so yay, we turned over this car. Let's uh, hit it with a chair. Yeah, let's hit it with a chair. Then they're running underneath the scaffolding. Everybody's like you know hanging onto the scaffolding and uh basically shaking it and then yeah. and then the scaffolding fell over when they shot it with the water cannon which is okay that's fine but uh i don't know it just seemed a little uh thunderdome staged kind of thing I, I think a riot is a very fluid thing with people running around not standing there jumping up and down in uh ecstasy of uh pandemonium of destruction yeah <laughs> um i i kind of agree with you although i liked it i i I thought on one hand, the chaos was was really pretty well done. Like, it felt like the whole city was just going nuts and people were just out of their minds going crazy. And I thought that was pretty well done. Um, But at the same time, two things bothered me about the whole sequence. And one was that I think it felt a little bit too easy for our group of characters after they left the barbershop to just get out of there. And, and make, get in a perfectly fine truck. Right. Get, that's right. Get <laughs> that's to in a, the middle of a riot. <laughs> hey, the truck's fine. Yeah. Every other car is on fire or upside down or whatever, but the truck is still there. There's a couple of motorcycles still there. Um, you know, I, they'd probably be there, but they'd probably at least be knocked down or vandalized in some well, yeah, way. Yeah, when you're running, when you're in a riot, you know, personally speaking, when you're in a riot and you're running past a vehicle and you have a a, a pipe in your hand, like a, a you know a four foot long pipe, you smash windows. Right. You smash lights. You do what you uh, that that uh, I don't know if it works, but you remember in Fight Club when they were smashing the uh, uh, the lights and the and the bumper of the front of the car to set the airbags off. Mm-hmm. 
I'd be doing that kind of shit to see if it worked. I'm not sure if it does work, but uh, I'd try it. Well, that's what people do. That's what people do in a riot. Like, every window is broken. Telephone or uh, light posts or people are climbing them or breaking the lights or pulling them down if they can. But they kind of ran out of the barbershop, got through the crowd, not without incident, of course, because the scaffolding fell down on um, Griselda's leg. Mm -hmm. But they get to the truck and then they just kind of drive off down a, what seems like a relatively deserted street. (laughs) No ride on that street. There are a few people around, but like the truck was conveniently at the edge of the riot and they just drove away from it. So... I can kind of forgive it. Well, I mean, it. there's, you know, they zoned the riots. Like, the riot, you know, rioters, please stay on this side of the line. Right. Because this is, you know, the riot zone. Uh, you know, this is, but over here, this is a residential street, so, you know, try and keep it down. Right. That's how rioters work. You you contain them to an area, and they just riot within there. That's right. Yeah. Because so, they're all just jumping up and down, right, on the cars. That's right, jumping up and down. And the one guy, he puts his arms up in the air and stuff like that. I yeah. did like the transition, though, from that scene into the opening title sequence. I don't know that what was it, was. Good. it was. That it, was pretty good. A little bit slow motion, puts his arms up, and then it, the big you know opening title sound comes up. I thought that was pretty good. Um, the little bit of slow-mo they had was okay. I, I don't know what it is. I find slow motion effective in a riot scene. Okay. For some reason, it just works for me. Um, and then the other thing was when the scaffolding fell on her leg, I was like, oh, they're going to do this. They're going to make one character get injured, which slows them down. And then they have to decide if she's, you know, worth bringing along or not. Or I, I'm, I'm just glad she didn't go do the whole like, go without me, you know, leave me behind. <laughs> I, I was really yeah. glad that wasn't the case, but it did feel to me a little cliche that someone had to get hurt on the way. True. So um, what I really would have liked is for more than one person to get hurt on the way. Like, I feel like if they'd run out into that riot in the state that it was in, they would have gotten like clubbed with bats or punched in the face or whatever like it wouldn't have been so easy to just run through the crowd no and even when they when they opened the door of the barbershop like just as they got the door open there was like four guys ready to run in yeah is that is that what you do in a riot you just stand outside a door in the hope that it'll open so you can run right in well they smash things yeah they just ran in to destroy the place meanwhile the shop next door was on fire yeah, well, you'd think that you know you'd open the door and you'd be able to, you'd have enough time to get out before somebody went. Hey, that door's open. Let's go in there and smash stuff. But man, they were they ever right on the ball, ready to get in there and smash up that barbershop. Yeah, they were. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's the whole thing. As much as I enjoyed it, it had these little little problems that I I didn't think were perfect. But uh, the whole chaos, all the chaos, the way it was portrayed, I I think it worked well for me. So then they're driving. Driving by that hospital. Yeah. And I thought this was a pretty good scene, too. It was cool to see um, sort of a... You, like, a hospital would be a, a hotbed of, of zombie activity, you think, right? People. Oh, are, yeah, you get... Uh, people you die know, in people there dying. all the time. Yeah. yeah, they die there regularly. Exactly. And so this sort of made sense. Now, they were trying to take Griselda to the hospital, and that didn't work out so well. But uh, I, I just enjoyed the the police and the military military that were there and shooting shooting people down so that was pretty good the one thing i was trying to listen to here though is there was the radio was on and right. here's what i picked up from the radio in the truck uh i heard the announcer say governors in 11 states have declared a state of emergency and requested the national guard for assistance good so now we know that at least 11 states are having zombie issues 
or some sort of problem. Right. Uh, I also heard him say the FAA is expected to ground flights in an effort to control the virus. Oh. So see, the authorities know what's going on. They know that this is a virus at this point, and it's affecting people. Yeah. Um, and then I heard some partial sentences, things like people still need to get help and statewide curfew. So right. the authorities, the people in charge, they are trying to do what they can to contain this, even though they probably don't really know what it is. Good. Which is interesting. I, th- I think it'll work. <laughs> it probably will, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I trust the authorities. And uh, on this TV show, I think, uh, I think it'll work. I think it'll be a giant upset. And like, oh, this isn't the same universe as the other one. Or maybe it's this is 10 years before uh, The Walking Dead takes place. Right. And this is, the, you know, just a kind of a preamble. Uh, it's like, wow, that was pretty scary And when it's all over. And then it, it you know, flares up again. <laughs> it just flares up again out of nowhere. <laughs> Um, so, so that scene was pretty fun. Did you feel like though, another reason they had Griselda get injured is to just add the whole, is she going to die and turn into a zombie in the back of the truck tension? No. Cause yeah, I didn't think that was going to happen. Are you sure? I mean, you don't die from, uh, you know, a broken leg that quickly. No, I, I know, but I mean, she's hurt. She can't move. She, she could be bleeding. It's not profusely. a life, you know, it's, you know, it's a serious injury, but it's not a critical one. It's not a, a life threatening injury. I don't think they portrayed it as much. If they wanted to give her a life threatening injury, it would have crushed her chest and uh, she would have had a collapsed lung mm. and that's dangerous as hell. Or they would have done something, you know, banged her head where she's in and out of consciousness and may or may not live or something like that. But, you know, crushed ankles, like, who cares? Carry her out of there. She's fine. Yeah, I, I, you're right. It's not a life-threatening injury, usually. Um, but I couldn't help but thinking, you know, they're driving along. They're taking their time, sort of, because they're going to the hospital instead of going straight home. You know, if she's going to die in the back of that truck, nobody knows what's going on. We're going to have a reanimated person in the back of the pickup truck, but yeah, that never occurred to me. All right, well, that's good. That's good. You're not you're not thinking as much as I am, or maybe I'm thinking too much. It's the beard. <laughs> my brain. <laughs> the beard has grown into my brain. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, beards grow both ways. They grow in and out. Really? Oh yeah. No wonder I can feel it in the roof of my mouth. Yeah, it changes the taste of soup. Oh, good. <laughs> Just soup, though. Just soup. Uh, and then finally, this whole thing kind of ends with with them driving along, and you're overlooking Los Angeles, and you see the lights going out slowly in pockets of the city. I thought that was a really effective shot, too. That was really nice. I think the uh, the special effects while they were driving was obviously them uh, driving along on a soundstage with uh, a green screen. It was kind of sad. You thought they were Frankly. bad? I thought it was bad because there was also uh, the front right of the truck bumped up on regular intervals uh, that it just was it, it was obvious and uh, it, it took me out of the show. Hmm. I was thinking that watching the lights go off was just... That, that part, you know, when they were having the conversation, yeah. uh, you know, in the front and between the front and the back of the truck... Yep. Uh, that was bad because you could see the uh, the background and the green screen is just, uh, I thought the effects were secondary and they could have done better. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's a fair criticism, I guess. I was going to say that I just think the whole idea of them watching the lights go out was just really ominous. Like that was, there goes, uh, that was ominous. There goes the power. We're kind of screwed now. Um, but yeah. then at the, on the other hand, 
throughout the episode, especially back at the house, we saw the power going on and off and on and off a few times. And I think at the beginning of the episode, they made a point to show us Madison turn on the water, water still works, and turn on a light and show us that the lights still work. That was right at the beginning. And then later on, I'm like, oh, well, I was thinking to myself, oh, good. They still have water and, and lights and power. That's that's going to be helpful. But yeah. then, you know, then we see them go off and then they come on and off again. So uh, I think it was a kind of fun way to like, you know, ramp up the tension a little bit. Like, you never uh, know when the lights are going to go out. <laughs> I thought that was good. I thought that was a good, uh, it gave us context for it, right? And we know that the power is going on and off and that they're having infrastructure issues in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the house, the power will go out and then it would come back on or you'd be in a weird situation. All of a sudden the lights would come on or they would all go out. I thought that was well done. It, me too. And th- they used it effectively, if a little bit predictably, I thought. Like when... When uh, Nick and Alicia and uh, Maddie go over to the neighbor's house, like they have no power yeah. until they get into the house, then it comes on briefly so they can see what they're doing, and then it goes out again, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> convenient. Yeah, it's a little bit convenient, but you're right, it was good. But let's talk about the the whole everything that happened at the house uh, in the day, in the night, and kind of the family dynamic that was going on here. Uh, what did you think of the Monopoly scene? So a uh, somebody who's going through withdrawal of heroin addiction, okay. I question their ability to play and focus on a Monopoly game. Well, let's talk about withdrawal before Monopoly then. I think you're right. I think they totally glossed over the uh, recovery, Nick's recovery here. Well, he is limping. Oh, right? Does that, and my does God, that mean man, that uh, he's, he's a recovering addict? No, it means he hurt his... <laughs> ankle or knee or something um but jesus change your effing clothes you're at your own house oh yeah and he hasn't changed out of that old man's clothes yet well maybe he likes that old man <laughs> he that, must that smell he, no he must really love Yeah, that you're fashion. at home dude you know go put on a shirt your shirts are, are there I, I i would assume i just think it's the dumbest thing that they haven't made him change his clothes i mean everybody else has changed their clothes but he's still wearing the stupid old man's big pants and baggy shirt. I can tell you that I could, uh, I as a healthy adult male, it was in a situation where it was, you know, the world was coming to an end or there were riots in my city and the power was flickering on and off and I knew something was going on. I'd have a trouble, I'd have a hard time concentrating on playing Monopoly. I'd play for about three minutes, I'd open up the board, I'd grab the the money out of the thing, and I'd be like, fuck that, I'm not playing this stupid game. True. So I, let alone these three people uh, playing Monopoly with a uh, re- recovering addict, not even a recovering addict, uh, uh, somebody going through withdrawal. Yeah, right. So the withdrawal thing, I think they've they've just glossed over i was hoping that it would take him a long time i I was hoping we'd see him suffer like crazy like all of our listeners wrote in and said you know you and i we don't know that much about heroin withdrawal but people wrote in and said this takes a long time it takes weeks you know he is going to be in a lot of pain for a lot of time and now i know he has some medicine to manage it but i'm sorry i'm pretty sure we need to see more withdrawal symptoms in this guy yeah, and, and I can uh, tell you that uh, you know I've had my wisdom teeth out, and that was uh, it was a relatively painful experience. I can tell you because they had to they had to actually break the teeth in half to get them out. I've been through that. 
Uh, and I can tell you that they had me uh, taking all kinds of weird and wonderful happy drugs, and I still felt the pain. I just didn't care about it that much. Okay. But I still felt the pain. The pain was there. It's just that the drugs helped me not give a shit. So you're saying that he, he might be still feeling the pain, but he's able yeah. to function. No, I'm saying that uh, the pain doesn't go away. Even though he has drugs, doesn't mean the pain is gone. It just means that he's going to be less lucid than he would be uh, otherwise. So I think the fact that he's going through withdrawal and taking drugs means that he is definitely not going to be playing any Monopoly. He's going to have a hard time sitting up and drinking something. Yeah, well, you could argue that Nick is the most lucid person in this episode. He's the only one who later on actually says, you know, she's dead. She's not sick. She's yeah. dead. He knows what's going on. He's the only one and who's come thinking come with me. Story. I know where there's a shotgun. Exactly. I tried to steal it once, he said. <laughs> yeah, how do you know? Anyway, yeah, I'm just, I got another problem with that gun, too. Uh, okay, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. I'm just saying they're not they're not doing it right. I, In my opinion, they're not doing the withdrawal stuff right. But no. regarding the Monopoly scene, I thought, while it's nuts that they would sit down and have a nice family game with Monopoly, I did feel like the way the scene was acted and written and the way they presented it... I did feel like this was a family, and they'd done this a million yep. times before. I think that is true because they all called out the uh, the figures that they wanted to be. I want to be the top hat. I want to be the boot. Right, exactly. It felt like they'd done this before, and I, I really, even though it seemed weird that they would be doing it at this moment, it felt like this is something they do, and this is maybe their way of coping. This is their way of trying to take their mind off what's going on outside, even if just for a, a few minutes. Um, so I was okay with that, and then. The way the scene played out and the way they started talking about Maddie's, you know, ex-husband and stuff, a lot of information was revealed um, here yeah. here and later in the episode, too. So uh, Alicia says that she can't sleep while waiting for someone to come home, and she's having a major case of deja vu right now. So what she's saying is, you know, our dad, um, well, at this point, I thought he either left and never came home again. Um, but later we find out Maddie says he died. So I think what happens is he was probably killed in some sort of accident while he was out yep. and they were all sort of sitting at home waiting for him. The other thing I thought of is we do know, I think that there's some drug use in this family, right? Other than yep. Nick. So maybe the father was the drug addict and he ended up dead somewhere in a, you know, in a place sort of like where Nick woke up in the first episode, that shooting gallery, they call it. Yeah. So, I mean, we did kind of learn that kind of thing. And then the other thing is um, Nick and Alicia sitting around questioning whether they should even wait for Travis to come back. And Nick even suggests that he might not be coming back. Maybe he went home. Like, maybe he went with his ex-wife and his son. And he's essentially ditched them, which I think is pretty harsh for yeah. Nick and Alicia to be thinking. But at the same time, he's their stepdad and, you know, they're not his uh he's not their father so yeah i thought that, i thought that whole dynamic was very interesting as well yeah so so for i mean for those reasons i think the monopoly scene um even though it was kind of weird it didn't bother me i think they used it well and i think it it solidified this family a little bit tighter and sort of explained where the father was and kind of the feelings toward Travis. Now, Travis obviously comes back, and I'm pretty sure that this whole group is going to come together even tighter as the show goes on. 
but you can sort of see where they're starting right. in terms of their relationship. I think they probably could have uh, just lifted out the drug addict thing altogether. You know, just make him a uh, a ne'er do well, somebody who's into pot and uh, stealing things, stealing cars maybe, and then got picked up by the police instead of uh, ending up in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, then once they got him out, everything is fine because that's where they're going anyway. So I just replaced drug addict with Cri- stealing cars with general criminal or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, if they're not going to do the drug addict angle justice, um then why do it at all? But that being said, I think the drug addict thing worked really well in the first episode because he's high or he's, you know, yeah, no one really true. no one really believes what he's saying because he was probably on heroin and when he's saying I saw my friend uh Gloria eating a dude, everyone's like, yeah, of course you did, you know, you were probably eating somebody too. <laughs> so well, the the writers have to get it together then. I I guess so, yeah. Um all right, so let's talk about not telling, uh, not giving Alicia all the information here. So what I took away from this episode was, and this is what uh, our listener sort of related to what the listener wrote in earlier, is that you know Maddie is just trying to protect Alicia. She's relatively young; she's seventeen. She's trying to protect her, and she's hoping that this will all blow over without having to give, her, without having to tell her daughter what really is going on. She's trying to, you know, not hurt her feelings <laughs> sort of yeah and i think that's kind of okay don't you i do, i know i don't i still don't think it's okay i think it's uh you know more information is better than uh less information and i think people have a right to know what's going on and i think a 17 year old is uh mentally and mature enough to understand that this is a serious situation and that uh you know most likely society is over and that you need to come to terms with it and be able to react when we tell you to do something or when we need you to do something. I See, I'm not so sure. I guess it depends on the teenager, but I'm not so sure every single teenager, even at 17, would be ready for that. I mean, what if Maddie tells Alicia people are getting sick, they're dying, they're turning into monsters, and then they're trying to come after you. What if she freaks out and is like, I got to go back to Matt? Like, you might not be able to prevent her from doing that. And you can't. I think a, I think a 17-year-old can handle uh, knowing about life and death situations. I don't think they can handle money. Uh, so if you gave a 17-year-old $100,000 and said you have to make this last the rest of your life, it'd be gone in a week. Because they don't have the maturity to, to deal with uh, real-world uh, situations like that. But I think life and death, I think we're pretty much programmed to be able to deal with that shit at 17 years old. I don't know, man. I mean, a lot of 17 year olds have never had anyone in their family die, have never been to a funeral. Um, so you, you could be right. I mean, some, I think some 17 year olds probably would deal with it or some 17 year olds in the right circumstances might deal with it. Clearly, um, Tobias in the first couple episodes, that guy was prepared. He knew what was going on. He could handle this situation. He was bringing a knife to school. Um, but Alicia, she's smart. Obviously, she is a clever girl, but I don't know that maybe she's emotionally ready for this because the first thing she would do is think of my boyfriend. I have to go back to my boyfriend, which is the last thing you want her to do. Yeah, I, I don't agree. I think that uh, that she's emotionally and... Uh, mentally equipped to be able to deal with this stuff. All right. Well, at the end of the day, she knows what's going on now. So 
she's uh, she's into it whether she wants to be or not. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, also kind of related to the the family dynamic here is we have I think we have three really once Travis and the the gang gets back I think we have three really important conversations in this episode. The first one is between Travis and Liza. And that's mm-hmm. his ex-wife. That one didn't end end up so well. They clearly don't totally see eye to eye anymore. They should get divorced. Oh, they definitely should. <laughs> uh, and then we've got Travis and Maddie. And, and basically the opposite thing happens. They are clearly a rock-solid couple, right? Totally yep. in love, totally together, and on the same page as each other. And then we have the probably the best conversation of the episode between Liza and Maddie, the two... Yeah the current wife and the ex-wife. And what I love this one about this one so much is it kind of made um uh Madison look like a bit of a bit of a bitch. <laughs> I think I mean not you know maybe not unjustifiably but she basically tells Liza that if she's ever like Susan who's the neighbor who is a zombie that Liza has to Take care of her. Don't make Travis do it because it would break him. Right. She's basic. This is a power play. I mean, she's saying, if I become a zombie, you got to kill me because Travis won't be able to do it because he loves me so much. <laughs> no, I don't think that's what she's saying. Oh, it's exactly what she's no, saying. No, it's she's... not because he loves me so much. It's because I don't think he's mentally equipped to handle it, which I completely agree with. No. He can't handle this situation, and he's going to be dead before the end of the season. Well, that I agree with. But no, what she, I think what Madel, Madeline, um, Madison is saying is that this is a power play. This is a, this is a, I'm asserting my dominance over you. I'm the new, I'm the current wife. You're the ex-wife. And, and, uh, you know, you got to kill me because he's my husband now and I don't want him to have to go through that. No, I see. I completely disagree with you. <laughs> I don't think it's a power play. I think it's a, uh, I recognize your strength and I don't think that he has it kind of situation. But why would she do that? Then she's undercutting her own, like her, no, her she's husband. she's not undercutting. She's just, she's worried about it. She's looking at her neighbor who she knew and uh, who is now dead and undead. And uh, that's the situation that she doesn't want to be in. And she's looking for uh, the strength around her that can, uh, you know, kill her if she's ever in that situation. And she recognizes that and says, I need you to do it because I don't think Travis has it in him to be able to do this. It would break him. You are the strength. You need to do this for me. I just don't think those two women are seeing eye to eye like that. I don't think they get along. I mean... Well, no. I mean, but it's uh, it's more of a primal thing than... Uh, than you know, I'm the I'm the new girlfriend. You're the ex-wife, kind of thing. I I, I think it's beyond that. And uh, well, I mean, maybe this isn't totally on a conscious level on uh, Maddie's part, but I just took away from this as her saying, "Nope, I'm I'm in charge here." And uh, you know what? He uh, he loves me too much now, so you can go f yourself. <laughs> yeah, totally disagree. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Let let us know what you guys think, listeners. Let us know. Uh, anyways, I think the whole, the way they framed those three conversations of, of, you know, the, and the way they, that the sort of feeling between everybody I thought was pretty clear. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I was agreeing that I liked all three of those conversations. I agree with you. <laughs> we just, I just them. think they meant different things. Meant different things. All right. Uh, okay. Um, 
how okay nighttime nighttime at the house and the neighbor's house uh this i think was my favorite part of this episode this is what made it uh, what i thought such a really really great episode everything that happened at night when the power was going on and off they were looking out their window they were seeing um they were seeing zombies outside then they had to go on the mission to the neighbor's house for the gun it was like a mini supply run almost and the way they they had they made them go through that sort of like weird <laughs> weird backyard growth maze, maze thing. thing yeah what the hell was that i think you know it reminded me of something my friend had in his backyard when i was growing up um they had they had a grapevines growing and they yeah. had built a big basically wooden almost like wooden scaffolding for the vines to grow on so they had humongous grapevines growing and they had grapes all year long or all summer long and and it was kind of like that where you could walk in under uh like a wooden structure that had grapevines growing all up on top of you and it kind of reminded me of that although a little bit more mazy than than what what my friend had but let me let me ask you where all the uh, the uh, the grape Vines are they trees or not trees? Are they plants? Grape plants? No, they're vines. Grapes grow on vines. Oh, no, I know they're vines, but where they touch the ground, like they go vertical for a while and then they go horizontal. They grow up this tress or whatever they call it, scaffolding yes. stuff. So were they in nice, neat rows? Yeah, kind of. Okay, I mean, so what the hell was this damn maze thing that this lady had built in her backyard? Well, was it uh, okay. was it a, a forest walk that she was uh, you know? That she wanted to build this thing where I want to feel like it takes me an hour and a half to go from the uh, from my back door to the end of the backyard. No. So I made this maze. I, I agree with you. It's a little bit weird, whatever it was. But I'm just saying I don't think it's totally out there. I mean, man. And the whole family knew how to get through the maze. Like, everybody knew how to get through the maze. It was just, uh, it took some time. No, not everybody. I don't think Alicia really did. Because when she goes back to get the shells that they forgot, she gets a little bit lost on the way back. I don't think she gets lost. I just think that it, it the the maze doubled back on double doubled back on itself and the lady grabbed her. And the lady grabbed her. Yeah. I don't think she was lost. I think it was, she was just, you know, stuck. No, see, I think Travis, not Travis. I think Nick knew exactly the way through because he was the one breaking into people's houses trying to steal their guns. And Alicia doesn't do that kind of thing, right? So she didn't know the way through. Neither did um Maddie, really, for that matter. He was leading the way. And then the, the the way that when they got back and then Alicia had to go back, I mean, I was just thinking, no, don't go back. Don't go back. This is a bad idea. But at the same time, the whole scene was so well done, in my opinion, so tense. And I just felt like, you know, a zombie could jump out at them any time. They get in the house. Oh, my God. The scene where she's in the house trying getting the shells. And you see yep. the feet below that swinging door, and it just slowly... Well, you see the pills first, like you saw a, an empty bottle yeah. of pills, right? Which means, oh, holy crap, that lady tried to kill herself. Right. I, I then, guess, yeah. And that's not going to work, because that's not destroying the brain, that's just killing you. So, yep. And then seeing the, the feet under the door, I thought that was really well done. It was too. so well done. The feet under the door creeped me out, because they were creepy looking feet, I'll be honest with you. Yes, and they then they just they just kind of it starts to slowly open and all you can see is her feet, and then you know Alicia has to run towards the door and slide out the side to get out of the house. So well done. Uh, it just the whole thing was like edge of the seat for me. I, that was a good scene. And did you see the lighting in the kitchen? Oh yeah, I was gonna say that, that was that was pretty nuts. Weird ass lighting. <laughs> it looked like the future from the seventies. 
It was kind like, of It wasn't weird. the 70s. It was the vision of the future from the 70s. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, it was so creepy. But like I was saying before, like it was kind of good that or it worked that the power came right back on then so we could see that weird ass creepy lighting. But then they yep. get into the next room and it goes off again. So they did a good job with that. And the way they staged it that... Travis, of course, comes home while nobody's there because they're all in the neighbor's house trying to steal the gun. And um, we just know that Travis is going to get there. And we're like, oh, no, nobody's home and there's a zombie in the house. What are we going to do? It's I, I loved it. I thought it was yeah. perfect. Even though they leave the door open after they bring the dog in, which is the dumbest thing you can do, like close your damn door. But oh, my God. Oh, oh look, a very big German shepherd covered in blood. Yeah. Let's let him in. Yeah. Let's let him in. Why not? What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, let the dog in the house. Why not? He's probably freaked out and, uh, you know, a little pissed off, covered in blood. Pro- let him in. Probably. Probably. Maybe they knew what? the dog. I, I got the feeling Nick knew the dog, so. They didn't know the dog. That was like, look, a dog. Well, no. Didn't they say it's like, that's Susan's dog? That's the neighbor's dog, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't know doesn't matter I, yeah i mean letting the dog in was a bit silly but everything else was so good that i i love this whole scene that everything was great the one thing i didn't like about it was is that um i think it bugged me a little bit that when travis did get there he still tried to help peter uh peter was the name of the guy who was zombified in his house and, you know yeah. he, he gets right up to him and then they have to struggle of course and Peter's getting on top of him and so on. I'm like, dude, look at the guy. You've seen things. I mean, I know you don't want to believe what you've seen, but at a certain point, you have to start, you know, recognizing the fact that these people are dangerous and you can't just walk right up to them. Yeah. Um, but I think he's getting there now, and that's good. Um, but Susan, zombie Susan, I think yep. her role in this whole episode was to start solidifying everybody's position in terms of how they feel about what's going on. Oh yeah, cuz it's uh it's definitely it's right in your face. This is uh this is what's going on in the world and they know who the lady was. Exactly. They know who she was, so she was a friend, but then, you know, Nick is the guy who steps up and says she's not sick, she's dead, which yep. was fantastic. And Everyone else is kind of slowly coming to this realization, but at different rates. Like Maddie, later on, you know, the next morning wants to go out and kill Susan. She has the hammer. Yep. So she's like, we got to we gotta kill these people or, or, you know, do something to put them out of their misery. I don't know if you know this, a bit of trivia, that uh, your neighbor will almost always blink when you hit them in the head with a ball-peen hammer. Even if they're a zombie? Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Almost always. Almost. Uh, maybe the zombie neighbor is the one who won't. <laughs> maybe. Um, but Maddie wants to kill Susan. So Maddie is clearly starting to accept what's going on here. And then I think Travis still thinks yeah. there's some hope. Like he hasn't gotten there yet. You know, he's digging the dog grave the next morning and is like, good morning, Susan, talking to her. Like, I know he doesn't think that she's okay, but he doesn't seem like he's there yet. And then he talks Maddie out of 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 going through with it. Yeah. Which, I mean... That's a mistake. It's a mistake, I think, uh, but I, I try hard to 
to not let my knowledge as a viewer influence sort of my feeling on what these characters would do. He did say, don't do this or, or stop before you do something you can't take back kind of thing. Right. Right. Which is, which is fair. But I also think at a certain point you got to be like, come on, this is not good. Like, well, he's not there yet. And she's almost there. Yeah. Because if she was all the way there, she would have, you know, been written the forehead. Without hesitation. Yeah. Right. And then the other one is the Salazar, Daniel Salazar. He seems to have known for a while that there isn't much hope left. You know? Yeah. And he calls uh, he calls them weak when they don't kill uh, when they don't kill her. Right, exactly. He says they're weak. Um but but yeah, he he's sort of embraced this universe it seems like you know he's like we got to do what we got to do he doesn't want to go with them when they're leaving so he thinks he knows how to handle things already yeah um but i think they're going to stick around and we're, we're going to see more of them so anyways all the nighttime stuff at the house i thought was really well done it was super creepy and um i think this episode had an amazing balance of that like the awesome sort of nighttime scary action and enough family character stuff and the riot in the city. This is a really solid episode. Yeah, I thought I, you know, I agree with you on uh, on most of the points, but I, I just I I didn't think it was as good as you do. That's for sure. All right. Well, um, before we finish up on this one, we got to talk about the end. Basically, the military response. Yeah. So, what do you think about this? The military shows up as they're trying to leave. And is essentially going house to house, marking the houses, taking note of who's there and what's been going on. This is sort of like the last stand for the authorities, you think? No, they're sweeping the neighborhood. They're trying to, you know, eradicate the, uh, you know, the undead. And so they're going through and shooting anybody who can't talk. That's it? They're just trying to contain the situation? Yeah, they're just they're going through and they're trying to trying to cleanse it, doing one neighborhood at a time. And this is happens to be the neighborhood that they're working on at the moment. And this and and spray painting the houses is kind of just an indicator that they've been there. And this house, yeah, is they've safe. been there. And they you put the X, and then uh, I forget what the actual numbers mean, but they uh, they indicate the number of people found, the number of infected, uh, the number uh, removed, and the number dead, kind of thing. Right. They had a big truck full of dead bodies. Yeah, if you know, well, you know, a, a dump truck full of dead bodies. Yeah, that's what they that's what they had. <laughs> yeah, um, but I I I, uh, I liked this ending bit for two reasons. One, when I was watching this, and they they drive away from the house just before the military shows up. Cameras kind of panning up. I'm like, oh, that's it. Episode's ending here. We don't know what's a, what they're about to drive into, right? Yeah. But then we get more, and I'm like, hey, it's not over yet. This is great. All right. Uh, we got more show to watch. So I felt good about that. And then the fact that it was the military and that it seemed like they had everything under control is probably going to give our characters a little bit of a sense of security, at least for a short time. Certainly Travis, I think, thinks that, well, clearly the military's involved, we're going to stay here, everything will be fine, we can just wait this out now, and we'll get back to, you know, normal next week. This was my favorite part of the whole episode. Oh, yeah? The fact that uh, the military shows up and gives you that, gives them the sense of, okay, it's under control now. That was a crazy night. Uh, but now everything is under control and we can relax. And that is so way wrong. It, exactly. It's a total false sense of security for everybody. And 
it makes it exciting for the viewers to think what's coming up next. You know, if everyone is feeling good about themselves, they better not let their guard down too much. Yeah. Right? So it was pretty good. I'd be surprised if we see much more. Well, we might see a little bit more sort of military activity, but I'd be surprised if we see it on such a personal level like that. Like we might see planes crashing or fighter jets flying over or bombing, you know, bombing things, stuff like that. Yeah, they're going to firebomb the city. That's for sure. I think so too. And uh, we're going to see a helicopter crash and we're going to see a plane crash, maybe a plane crash into a helicopter that's trying to firebomb the city. That'd be cool. <laughs> we'll just get it all out of the way in one scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just do one shot, get her done. Blow the whole special effects budget on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're obviously holding back on the special effects for uh, driving in the truck. Right. So they can spend it on that, which is fine. Because you want to see a plane crash into a helicopter that's firebombing the city. Or they spent it on uh, that guy getting shot in the face twice. Oh, that yeah, zombie. that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, they, they basically shoot a side of his face off and then the rest of his head. <laughs> yeah, and then they, you know, walk a little bit closer, <laughs> aim a little bit better, yep. pull a little bit more trigger. Yep. Uh, the only problem with that is the first shot he took... Oh, no, uh, I was going to say he was right on top of Travis, but Travis pushed him away, right? Yeah. And then he took the shot, kind of missed, which is lucky, because if you're if someone's right on top of you and someone shoots them with a shotgun, you're going to get hit, too. Yeah, just, or just tiny little pellets, so you'll be fine. One or two, you'd be fine. Yeah, except for one that goes in your ear and in your eye. I mean, that's not good. Well, yeah, that's that's going to hurt. All right. Anyways, great episode, I thought. This was the my favorite of the three so far, and I feel like the episodes are getting better as we go on. So if, I hope this trend continues. We're going to have a hell of a last three three episodes. <laughs> this definitely fell into my top three episodes of this show. Perfect. Like for sure. <laughs> 100% top three right here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, that's good. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh, tell us if we're right, wrong, or somewhere in between. We're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we will have some of your listener feedback about this episode. Stay with us. If you want to help support the Talking Dead podcast, what you can do is use our Amazon links by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and then clicking on the store that is most relevant to you. What happens then is when you make all your purchases, a tiny cut comes back to us instead of going to Amazon, which uh, is really, really great. So the more you buy, the better it helps us. But before you do any Amazon shopping, please visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. 
You can also help out by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. What you can do there is uh, make a small monthly pledge and all that money, just like the Amazon money goes into producing the podcast, paying for hosting, all those sorts of things. And uh, it is a great way to help. That's patreon.com slash the talking dead. We thank everyone so much for your support. Listener feedback. All right, it's time for listener feedback all about this episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, Jason, we should talk about this before we start, but who's going to read the first one? I'm going to read the first one because you read the last one. Perfect. So this one's Angie in Birmingham. All in all, okay episode. The weakest of the three, in my opinion. Wrong. I spent mo- most of this... <laughs> Angie, Chris called you wrong. <laughs> I don't agree with Chris. You and Jason, wrong. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was the weakest of the three. Anyway, I spent most of this episode screaming at the telly for Travis's dumb decision-making and anti-gun stance. Dude, dead people are trying to eat you. This is the one circumstance it is perfectly acceptable for your child to learn how a gun works. For Daniel being so against joining the group, for Maddie playing Monopoly in the middle of the freaking zombie apocalypse, for Travis being so naive and thinking things will get better and now that the army has shown up, and for Nick not changing his clothes. See? <laughs> You're in your own home, for God's sake, kid. <laughs> Go put on some proper clothes. Come on. Okay, last point, 100% agree with. Yeah. Um, for Travis being so naive and thinking things will get better now that the army's shown up. I kind of agree with that, but I'm glad that they're instilled with this false sense of security because I think that will make for some good TV. Uh, Monopoly in the middle of the zombie apocalypse was okay with that scene. I think it did more to tell us about the family than anything else. And uh, I don't know, Travis making dumb decisions and being anti-gun. You just are the way you are. I don't know if there's much you can do about that. I like it that the army has shown up because uh, I think that... uh a zombie armed with an assault rifle would be a very interesting thing if they have residual memories from when they were alive. Ooh. A soldier with an assault rifle would probably use it. Maybe not have the best aim, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Sucker'd go off if it was in his oh, hand. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. sure. Maybe end up shooting himself in the foot, though. Whatever. He's a zombie. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. No, that's true. <laughs> He's going to fall down, try to get back up again. Everything will be all right for that zombie. Yeah. <laughs> all Good right. Times. Thank you, Angie. And I'm sorry I called you wrong, but Angie's a longtime listener. She'll understand. <laughs> Uh, you can abuse the long-time listeners. You know, if it's a new listener, you know, they're put on a pedestal. But if you've been listening for a while. <laughs> oh, you better watch out. Uh, Sean on the internet writes, Holy crap, did you see that walker at the very beginning who avoided a huge cluster of living food, the rioters, so it could stare into the window for a dramatic aha moment? Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't see you. I didn't think of that at the time, but it is kind of true. It was sort of a, oh, look, the zombie's staring in at me. I'm scared. Well, you speaking know? of residual memories, maybe he, uh, just before he died, he was on his way to get a haircut and he just ended up at the barbershop going, it's closed. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. is it closed? <laughs> oh, man. Maybe. 
or he was a peeping Tom and he just liked to look through cracks and fences. Yeah. All right, next we have Sally on the internet. My holy crap moment was Monopoly during the apocalypse. Can't beat that. Agreed. Thank you, Sally. Uh, Matt on the internet writes, was it just me or did the presence of Monopoly in last night's episode, people are really focused on the Monopoly. Uh, Maybe they're coming out with a, uh, a Walking Dead Monopoly game. I bet you there already is one. In fact, there, wait a minute, there's Walking Dead Risk and there's Walking Dead, you know, three or four of their own board games. Yeah, check, Walking see if there's a Walking Dead, Dead Monopoly. Monopoly. Anyways, Matt writes, was it just me or did the presence of Monopoly in last night's episode seem like a specially out of place product placement? The way they carefully showed a brand new Monopoly box and had two scenes where the characters discussed the game seemed a bit incongruous with their situation. Especially Madison, who had just bashed in her boss's head with a fire extinguisher earlier that day. I would be yeah. in no mood for Monopoly after that incident. Yeah, there's a Walking Dead Monopoly. You could be Rick's hat. See? Walking Dead. There's Walking Dead everything. Or the katana. Everything. Or the phone that Rick talked on. You can be the phone, eh? The... the crazy phone oh i need this <laughs> <laughs> if only monopoly wasn't such a boring game well it depends on how you play it i play by mob rules so you can do anything you want well no you just you make side deals oh i see you, you when somebody lands on your if you own uh you know three properties and you have a couple of hotels on there and they land on there and it's 126 dollars. you say you know what i'm not going to charge you rent at all but i want uh i want five percent of what you make on boardwalk because right. you own Boardwalk. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, you just you know, you don't pay me now, but uh, you just pay me a little bit later, and you make all kinds of side deals. There was one point where the last time I actually played Monopoly with a bunch of friends, at, by the end of the evening, I owned literally no properties, and I was making money from every single transaction in the game. You got to keep track of all that. That sounds difficult. It was difficult, and we were all quite drunk at the time. But, uh, yeah, we had to quit because uh, I was making all the money. And I didn't own anything because I was playing mob rules. Okay, well, I suppose that does sound a little bit more fun. And that's the beauty of Monopoly. You can kind of make up your own rules. <laughs> yeah. To a certain degree. All right, so sorry, I got lost there. Uh, we're at Frank on the Internet? Uh, yes, we are. Okay, so next is Frank on the Internet. My holy crap, crap moment had to be when we see random, then sweeping chunks of the city lose power. Although I think some infrastructure would stay in place a, a lot longer. It was very creepy detail. Yes, I agree. Now, let me ask you this, Jason. Let's say the apocalypse starts tomorrow. How long, and, and things are playing out in a way similar to what we've seen on this show, how long before things like the power grid and the cell phone system and whatever else would start going down and not coming back? I have two answers for this. Okay. Answer number one. The first one. answer is uh, about 12 hours, I figure. It takes constant maintenance. And uh, the second answer is, I'm going to ask, because my father-in-law is an electrician that works for the city of Toronto. Uh, so works with the city of Toronto. So I'm going to ask him. It's a you great know, idea. If everybody just walks away, says, I'm out, how long before the power fails? That's a really good idea. We do that. Make sure you ask him and get back to us next week. I wish I would have thought of that because uh, he was over for dinner last night. Oh, see? And I didn't ask him. <laughs> okay, well, keep that in the back of your mind. And the next time you talk to him, uh, or you know what? Call him up and, and say, I... Well, I'm going to see him in a little while because, uh, you know, we we came down in the basement here and we talked about uh, running some Ethernet cables and some uh, some extra power lines down here. So he's going to be coming over in the next couple of weeks to help me do some rewiring. Good, good, good. Well, make sure you ask him that question. So, um, 
Uh, I think it would stay up longer than 12 hours. I don't know. Well, let's find out. stories. Let's ask the expert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cell phone system, you think it would go down just as fast? Faster? Oh, probably even faster. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Water? Would would the water, like, run out quick? Well, as soon as the power goes out, the water goes out. Well, it's power at the plant, at the water pump right. plant. And there's no pumps and stuff like or that. Or if my power goes out, depends on... Do I, I have a water pump, right? Uh, no. In the house? No. I don't have a water pump? No, the pressure is provided I, by I can, the city. Right? You sure? Uh, yeah, I think so. You don't have a All pump right. in your house. You have a, you have a water supply coming into your house that is at a certain pressure, and you don't have a pump pumping the water in. It comes from the street. Okay. So, that makes sense, because uh, I don't know where it would be if I do have one. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, it hasn't broken down yet, so I think I'm good. I think probably the radio uh, infrastructure would last the longest, because t- traditionally, or typically, radio has been used as an emergency warning system. Well, yeah, and that's why when you're invading a country, the first thing you do is take over the radio stations. Take over the radio stations and bomb the airports. That's, well, yeah. That's what you do, right? That's <laughs> what, I assume. That's what I do when I take over countries. <laughs> um Oh, damn it, I'm lost again. Uh, Steve on the internet. Steve on the internet. Um, holy crap, did you see the series first ever death by boomstick? <laughs> Reuben Blades? More like Reuben Bullets. <laughs> I, <laughs> I see what you did there, Steve. <laughs> yes. Um, is this the first death by shotgun? Really? No, Shane's got a, uh, Shane had a shotgun, uh, so right. I think that he probably... Blew away a few. I mean, I guess that. it's it's this series' first ever death by shotgun. It is, it is. But if you take the main show into account, Shane definitely had a shotgun. Yeah, he had a police issue shotgun. So short it, barrel, it was pretty or serious. Sawed off. No, it was just call it, that? no. It was just a. It was a full length shotgun. I just think it had a higher capacity and okay. a pistol grip on it. All right. All Fair. right. So next uh, is friend of the show, Adam. Yeah, I like that the show is giving us a temporary reprieve from the end of the world. The military coming in to secure the situation will be the last bit of authority we see crumble after the initial infrastructure fell. Stuff is falling apart, but we still see neighbors still hanging around and talking about their or taking out their recycling. Right. So we we see these little these little like bits of normality still happening, taking out the garbage and it's stuff garbage like day. that. Yeah. Well, you want to do it. I mean, even Travis took out his garbage, right? That was a weird yeah. scene, though, where he looks over, then the dude next door or across the street has taken out the garbage, and they kind of eye each other suspiciously. Well, eh. that's because it's, there's a lot of mistrust there. We got zombies roaming around here. You know, your neighbors are not necessarily friendly people. Sometimes they want to, you know, chomp, chomp on your neck. But so, like, you're. I guess you get you. I guess you need to get rid of your garbage because you don't want that hanging around your garage, stinking the place up. So, it's, especially when you have a, a big blanket that's covered in blood from the body you just dragged out of your house. Yeah, probably. You want to throw that shit away. You do not want that hanging around. <laughs> yeah. Good thing the military didn't open his garbage can when they got there. <laughs> Dead dog. Yeah, it was the dog. All right, Tim on the internet writes. I think the series is on track at last. I'm officially hooked. Even so, I don't appreciate the continued reliance on irrational, quote, only in a TV show, end quote, behavior. Let's not tell Alicia what we know so far. Let's not turn on the TV and see what's going on. Let's leave the door wide open, contrary to both normal, not an emergency default behavior, and the, quote, danger lurks outside, but at least the dog's inside, end quote, conditions that pertained at the time. Making characters behave stupidly to advance the plot is a sign of lazy writing. 
Well, when you let a strange dog covered in blood into your house, you leave the door open so that the dog could leave. I know you are being... So the dog could leave. (laughs) Right. If you're going to let him in the house, you might as well let him out, too. Yeah. And he started barking and going crazy. So it's just like, well, we better, you know, A, find a shotgun, and B, leave the door open so the dog can find his way out. So he doesn't chew on the sofa or eat my (laughs) shoes. Right. Or, you know... He needs to get out to pee once in a while, so yeah, let, leave the door open. Yeah, I agree, Tim. I mean, there's got to be... The problem is there's always going to be a certain amount of of what are they doing, right? There's for just that's the nature of TV for some reason. Like, even yeah. the best TV shows, I find you can, if you look at it close enough, you can you can think, what are those people doing? Why are they doing that? Those are not the right decisions. And regardless of what the show is about... Or what the situation is. And so I just think to a certain degree that's just the way it is and you got to live with it. Now, you don't want it to be really a big problem. But if it's a huge problem, then you're probably not going to watch the show and the show is going to get canceled. So is it a huge problem on Fear the Walking Dead? I don't really think so. Is it a little bit of a problem? Sure, but maybe we can live with it. Right. that's, That's just kind of the way I see it because... I know we nitpick. Sometimes we nitpick. I am well aware of that. People point it out all the time. Uh, <laughs> all I do is nitpick. All, are they nitpicking? Are these people that are pointing it out, are they nitpicking? Well, uh, that's the thing. I I don't think so because— Meta nitpicking? But, but, but maybe a little bit because at a certain point I was just saying you, you just have to let it go and enjoy the show for what it is. And if they leave the door open, it's because— you know, like you said, they need the dog to get back outside. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also you know, another nitpicky thing was like, I know where there's a shotgun. Let's go. And they all run over to go get the shotgun. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought take your time. It was funny. So I don't know. All right. Read uh, the next one. All right. Next we have uh, Jeff in St. Louis. The first thing I noticed was that the spread of the plague makes a lot more sense now uh, that the riots have started. A handful of walkers blend in well with rioters and overwhelmed police can't tell the difference. Likewise, the police were all preoccupied with the riots and, the, and at the hospital, so a rare Zed in the suburbs can harass the entire neighborhood with no police left to stop them. The Walker population probably exploded overnight in this episode. I can't tell where they're going with the Travis character. At one point, he said something like, I'm going to be here forever, and I and I immediately said, he's dead. But later, he said, you know how I feel about guns, and I thought it would be perfect it would be perfect irony to throw this line in as a flashback when he's dual wielding <laughs> M16s in season five. They could go either way here. Yeah, so there's kind of two points here. One, Jeff is uh, uh, sort of looking at how, boy, the, the, the virus could spread really fast because with a lot of chaos, no one's under control, no one knows what's going on, and zombies can just have their way with people. Um, and then the second one is, what's what are they doing with Travis's character? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think dual wielding M16s in season five, he might get there if he survives season one. Yeah. Which he won't, right? No, God, no. All right. Uh, all right. We have Andy in the UK. Holy crap. How weak is that shotgun? Two shots to the face to kill somebody? <laughs> People's heads are are harder in this particular uh, time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess they are. Uh, now, Andy also mentioned that Fear the Walking Dead 
is on what he referred to as a crap channel in the UK, and not that many people have access to it. So um, he suggested that we might be getting less feedback from the UK on this show because no one can watch it over there. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Which is too bad. Uh, he didn't say what channel it's on, uh, but come to think it's of it. on the crap channel. Yeah, the crap channel. Hey, we got the crap channel, honey. Turn it on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sweetie, we got nothing but crap channels. Yeah. Which which crap channel? Um <laughs> I come to think of it, I don't know what channel the main show airs on in the UK because I've never watched it in the UK. Uh, but I it's I find it odd that this show is on a different channel over there. Wouldn't AMC like have a deal or something and and put it on the same international channels all around the world? I think we talked about this way way back when when the show was first starting and it got picked up by a UK channel. I don't remember what the channel was, but uh, I remember talking about it. Yeah, I know. We we definitely talked about it, but yeah, I don't remember what channel it was, but like Fox International distributes it around the world and I guess they just make deals um on every individual show. All right, so the last two emails uh, are a bit longer. The first is Charles on the Internet. I feel like there is a running theme on the podcast from you, both you guys, that's you and me, Chris. Us guys. Uh, and the listeners that has to do with suspension of dis- disbelief. Whenever we watch a show, the viewer signs an implicit contract to suspend their disbelief. You may not realize it, but anytime you watch fiction, you have to suspend your disbelief in order to accept it. Merely by watching Fear the Walking Dead, you mentally agree to accept the premise that zombies are possible. I think it is also quite natural to accept that this in, in this fictional universe, the concept of a zombie simply does not exist. Uh, this is important because it helps provide a simple explanation for uh, a thing. The rule of thumb is there is a simple explanation, then I will accept it. The non-existence of zombies is simple uh, for... Uh, It's a simple explanation for many character behaviors. The characters don't understand what they are seeing and they are shocked by it and thus are unable to fully articulate the situation to each other. Okay, so this email and the next one are not specifically related to this episode, but and they're slightly longer, but I thought they both made good points and kind of is the same thing here. What Charles is saying is what I was saying a minute ago is that sometimes TV just is the way it is and you got to go with it a little bit. And uh, as Charles says, you know, you watching anything, uh, ha- you, there's a certain level of suspension of disbelief that you just have to engage in. And uh, in this case, it's that zombies exist and that people don't know what they are. So if they react funny or they react in a way that you don't think is appropriate, well, maybe it's because they aren't you and they don't know what's going on. And I think that's an important point to make, and we should probably, uh, you know, realize that while we're watching these sorts of shows. Right? Yeah. Yeah, willful suspension of, dis- of disbeliefs. My rule of thumb is uh, it has to have internal consistency. As long as the show is internally consistent, I'm okay with it. There you go. They set rules as long as they follow them, Right. Yes. Okay. There's been many shows and movies that I've seen that set rules and then they don't follow them and I throw the damn thing out the window because it's a stupid, stupid show. You scream at the television. Yeah, well, all the time. All right. Finally, Andrea in Colorado writes in this uh, long email. She writes, I like many things about Fear the Walking Dead, including the cast, but the writing and possibly the directing are not letting the actors be their best. 
Both episodes one and two contained so many ridiculous choices by the characters that it is pissing off most loyal viewers of the genre. I think part of the problem is the showrunners are trying too hard to sell the newness of the looming zombie apocalypse. I don't care how unaware the characters are. Their reactions and actions make no sense. So this is kind of the other side of things where you she's saying that they are unaware, but they're still making no sense. She goes on, for instance, at the school, they would have loaded up that food after killing the principal. That was the whole reason the kid was there in the first place. He knows what's going down and wouldn't have left with more and would have left with more than a stuffed backpack. Not telling the daughter and the ex-wife some kind of info to keep them safe made me nuts. And how about arriving home and shutting the door like all is normal while all three family members head to their separate corners? Even without knowing it was the zom- a zombie apocalypse, but especially after seeing the neighbors eating each other, board your windows maybe, grab a weapon, I wouldn't be following my children from room to room. I would be following my children from room to room, or better yet, make them all stay in one room with me. Here's a thought. They are going to leave town, right? Why uh, wouldn't some hurried and panicked packing be in order too? Then when Travis calls her to say they're safe, and she just acts worried but fairly normal. I get being disassociated or in denial, but I'm sorry, I don't know a single woman who, after she was asked, are you okay, wouldn't immediately start blubbering and incoherently sobbing as they told her man, I killed my principal. It just seems like the writing is either completely out of touch with how real people react, or Kim Dickens has the emotional range of Kristen Stewart. I have always loved Dickens in other shows, so I know she's capable of better acting. There needs to be more feeling from all the people and better choices made as they navigate this emergency. That is uh, what seems to be turning most people off right now. So Andrea in Colorado feels pretty bad. It's pretty harsh on this yeah, episode. Yeah, and stop shining your flashlights out the window for crying out loud. <laughs> if you're going to turn off all the lights so you're hidden in your house, don't shine flashlights out the window. And you're wrecking your night vision. Like you're just you're just making it so that you can't see anything. Mm-hmm. Turn the flashlights off. All right. Um, do you feel like the show is as bad as as Andrea says? Though I don't think it's as. Uh, no, I think she's a little harsh, but uh, all her points seem to be valid, and I can't really fault anyone, any one of them. But like. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as all that. No, I, I I agree. I mean, she does make some good points, but we've we've talked about this a lot this episode. Uh, I think sometimes you just have to suspend your disbelief, and you know, it's not as bad, at least in my opinion, as as it seems like she's saying. So, thank right. you everyone for writing in. We got more feedback this week. If you want to send in feedback, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail dot com, or uh, visit our website and click send voicemail to record a message right on your computer that'll send to us and you might hear yourself on the air. All right, just before we wrap up, we've got three more episodes of the Fear the Walking Dead coming up. Next week is episode number four and it is titled Not Fade Away. Uh, So whatever that means, we'll find out. And this is the first episode not directed by Adam Davidson. He did the first three. So this one is by Carrie Scott. Scogland or Scogland, and uh, that so it could be a slightly different style or feel. You never know. Different directors have you know their own. They they add their own touch to things. So, yep. 
uh, we might be in for something a little bit different. So that's next week on Fear the Walking Dead. Of course, we'll be covering that uh, next Monday. I'm going to be out of town next week. I'm going to be on the West Coast, but we will still be recording. I'm going to be in the West Coast of Canada. So, oh, it's too bad they're not still filming because I could go and like try to find the set in Vancouver. Do it anyway. I might do it anyway, yeah. You know what I'll do? I'll try to figure out where they filmed that riot and go and, and see if I can go and look around the streets. Sure. The barbershop. Do you think the barbershop was a real place or was it a set? No. It's a set. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't look for the set then. Uh, I'll look for some locations. We will see. Um, I'm going to be gone for a while. I'm taking an awesome trip driving from Calgary to Vancouver through the Rocky Mountains. So uh, nice. if you see me going by, say hi. <laughs> <laughs> as Hi. as I always say, hey, there he goes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's going to be fun. But we will be covering Not Fade Away, the next episode next week, of course. In the meantime, uh, if you want to contact us, you can do so by emailing TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, like I said, click send voicemail to send us a message. You can also find us on Twitter at TalkingDead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the talking dead and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast it was a big long fully jam-packed one so i hope you had fun jason i did have fun christopher excellent and uh so we'll see everyone next time until then my name is chris my name is jason thank you for listening bye chris bye jason